Welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses. I'm Orion Baflukas, joined by my partner in crime, as always, Mr. Lucas Rohde. Uh, Lucas, the uh, temperature keeps getting cooler. We're now in the, the middle part of October or of, uh, of uh, November. I know November is uh, probably your favorite month. Uh, how are things up in the uh, up in Nashville? Going well. Uh, going really, really well. Hasn't felt super Novembery this, but I think on Friday, like we're going to have a temperature drop of like 30 degrees. Like I think the high on Friday is supposed to be like 70, and then the high on uh, Saturday is only 45. So it's going to get very chilly here very fast. Uh, but it is my favorite month. Uh, one, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. And my birthday happens to fall on Thanksgiving uh, this year. So nice. um little two-for-one, nice holiday special there. So uh, very, very excited for this month. And it's, I think, the best month for college football as well. Crazy Week 10. Uh, we saw the Tennessee hype train kind of come to a screeching halt. Georgia puts it on them. LSU and Alabama, just an absolute classic. Ohio State stuck in the mud in Evanston. TCU keeps rolling. Oregon keeps rolling. So lots to get to here on this week's Running for the Roses. A uh, little run of show here before we dive in. Lucas and I will give out our weekly roses. Uh, we are going to do coaching musical chairs. Uh, we really haven't talked much about uh, the coaching carousel, but uh, what will also happen in the month of November is these jobs will likely get filled probably in the, the days or weeks after Thanksgiving. Um, but a lot of openings. We're going we're gonna to pick six. We're, we're going to guess who will get that job, and then we will uh, say who we would hire if we were the athletic director in that spot. Uh, afterwards, we'll, we'll uh, review Week 10 as the college football playoff picture continues to – I don't know if, if it gets clearer or gets muddier, but every week there's just uh, new teams rise, new teams fall. It should be an interesting uh, rankings this week. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday afternoon before the college football playoff rankings come out in a couple of hours. Well, then we'll look towards uh, week 11 and then round out with our picks. Uh, Lucas, why don't you start us off here with uh, with your rose? Uh, yeah, so I think mine is probably going to be maybe one of the craziest games from this weekend and probably one that not a ton of people watched <laughs> as well. So uh, if you didn't realize, if you would have tuned in to NFL Network, which one, I did not realize that NFL Network just had a random group of five I think it's Conference USA. I think they have a deal because I, I I'll watch NFL Network. I love Good Morning Football. I watch it almost every morning, and mm-hmm. I'll see promos for like UTEP tanking on North Texas on NFL <laughs> Network. I'm like, that's weird, but okay. <laughs> hey, I'm all for it. Um, but uh, on there, they had SMU in Houston this past week. Uh, the final score of this it was not a, it was not SMU versus. I know college basketball just started uh, last night. Um, this was not an early season game matchup uh, at all, but the final score was 77 to 63. Um, I will be interested to see when these two teams do play college basketball to see if they actually do match it. But yeah, you heard that right. 77 to 63 SMU uh, defeated uh, the Houston Cougars. My Rose is going to the quarterback of the SMU Mustangs, and that is Tanner Mordecai, who had uh, 10 total touchdowns in the game, nine through the air. <laughs> One rushing, uh, just a ridiculous performance from the former uh, Oklahoma backup quarterback. Um, he was actually the backup to, I believe, to Spencer Rattler uh, a couple of years ago. But yeah, 10 total touchdowns for him. 
Uh, so that alone uh, is the reason why I'm giving him my rose. For what it's worth, Northwestern has scored 150 points all season. Iowa scored 155 points all season. Um, yeah, absolutely nuts. They set the record for most points in a college football game. Um, Houston has a really good basketball team, so I, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing Houston might score over 77. But yeah, that's that would be interesting to compare the basketball score to the football score. Blew the over. I would love to know what was the highest like live total for that game, like 125, 130, something like that. Well, it was hilarious because in our in our uh, friends group chat, our friend Blaine mentioned at one point, I think it was in the second half or the second quarter that the live over had gone up to 105. And I, we had halfly joked that we pro- that we should bet it, and it cleared it obviously easily. It had to have been, yeah, two minutes left in the game. I'm wondering if it got over 150 or 140. Um, yeah, just an insane amount of points. <laughs> wow, you know it's it's interesting. Last week when we did roses, you you gave yours to an Ohio State player. I gave mine to UConn. And I joked, I was like, you know, you chose the the biggest game of the weekend. I chose maybe the most inconsequential game. And I feel like we kind of flipped this week, right? You choose uh, Houston, which has been disappointing this year in SMU. And I'm going to give my rose to Brian Kelly. Um, and I texted you this. I hate it. Um, I have been underestimating, I guess, LSU this entire season. I have been saying that this is not a good football team. The offense looked stuck in the mud at some points. Their offensive line was bad. They couldn't run the ball. All they've done is proven me wrong and beaten two top 15 teams in back-to-back weeks, wins over Ole Miss, and uh, this most recent Saturday, a 32-31 overtime victory over Alabama. Um, Candidly speaking, I was working most of Saturday. We had a, a basketball game there for the Suns, but... I put the end of this game on in the uh, in in my office essentially and caught some of the second half. The guts to go for it on mm-hmm. on with the two point conversion, I thought it was the right call. Um, your defense was was really not stopping much. I, they felt probably gassed, and they had done a great job all game. But I think when you're in a position like Brian Kelly was in, where you have momentum, you're at home, um, and it's one play to win it, and they called a great play, Mason Taylor. A uh, little two-yard touchdown reception, or you know, two-point conversion reception. Jane Daniels again, awesome in this game, over over 300 total yards. Um, he has become a revelation there. I did not think it would work out. I mean, you look at where this LSU team was week one against Florida State, losing on a botched extra point. The offense couldn't score. Their best offensive player, Keishon Booty, looked checked out. And where they are now, and and it's crazy to say this, Lucas. They are in the driver's seat in the SEC West. They are the favorite to get to Atlanta now. They have one conference loss. Alabama has two, and they have the tiebreaker. LSU's got two conference games left. They go at Arkansas this week, and they go, I believe they go at AM to end the season. Um, they have to lose both of those games, and, all, and Alabama has to win out for them not to win the SEC West. So for Brian Kelly to come into LSU with all with the mess that that team was and that culture was, and to most likely win the SEC West. And I know Bama's probably not as good as um, they were expected to be, and, and A&M's a nightmare, and Auburn fired their coach. But for LSU to win the SEC West in Brian Kelly's first year, and it hasn't happened yet, but it's looking likely, incredible accomplishment. So I'm giving my rose to Brian Kelly this week. I think that's even the crazy – you just mentioned it right there. This is only just year one under Brian Kelly. This wasn't like this took – three or four years in the making or anything like that. He still has still going to be able to bring in his players. 
still going to bring in his own quarterbacks. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's incredible. I just go back to when we did our SEC preview and our question without, without even hesitation was like, okay, we know Bama's going to win. Who's going to be the second best team in the SEC West? And now we basically flip that. It's okay. I guess Alabama is the second best team in the SC West. If things hold serve um, LSU, I know has, has a, another big uh, a game or Bama has another big game this week and we'll see if LSU can win out. But um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of nuts. Both Alabama and Clemson who we both kind of penciled in, I think for playoff spots are very much on the outside looking in now moving forward. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll touch a little bit more on week 10 here in a few minutes, but the think pieces and the commentary coming out of the dynasties that have kind of ruled college football the last half, half decade or so, Clemson, two national championships, Alabama, you know, seven under Nick Saban. A lot of people are saying, you know, is this the end uh, for those programs? And uh, it, it will be interesting to see if that is, uh, you know, I don't think this is the end for Nick Saban. I don't think this is the end for Alabama, but it will be interesting to see uh, how those programs respond. You ready to do some coaching stuff, buddy? I'm very much. Very much. So we're going to do coaching musical chairs here. We have six open power five jobs, or at least six that we'll get to tonight. We are going to each submit a candidate that we would hire and then each try to guess what school will, who, who that school will hire. Essentially. I'm going to try to do this in as, Best chronological order as I can. So we're going to start with Nebraska. They fire Scott Frost after week, I think, three or four. Um, they did not wait for the buyout to get cut in half in October. They pulled the plug in September. Uh, Lucas, I will let you go first. Let's start with who you think Nebraska will hire when is all said and done. So I think who they will hire is a name that we've obviously we've talked about on, on previous pods, and I think they are going to hire – Lance Leipold. I just think it makes too much sense. I think they want to bring in someone who has been established. Yes, he's only been at a Power 5 program for two years. You could make an argument that he was at maybe the worst Power 5 program or worst job in all of Power 5. They just clinched their, in just his second year, uh, they've already won more games this year than they had in the previous, what, three years combined. Yep. They're going to a bowl game for the first time. Uh, since 2008. And I think, like we mentioned, this isn't his only stop. He proven he also won at a very difficult job in Buffalo and made them a very successful program. And then obviously at D3, where um, he won seven national titles uh, in, about a, in about a nine or 10 year stretch. Um, so I think it's going to be Lance Leipold. Uh, when it's all said and done, he is familiar with Nebraska. He was an assistant coach there. Uh, for a couple of years, I believe, under Frank Solich. Uh, knows the Big Ten, obviously, uh, born and raised in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and obviously in Kansas, it's the same recruiting area. It's going to be the same type of players that he's going to be able to do. And I think Nebraska wants the guy who can build a program, who is a pro- proven program builder versus maybe a guy who maybe can can recruit or did just really, really well a few years at a, at a at a group of five job. So I think in the end, it will be Lance Leipold. I have been saying that Matt Rule will be the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers since 
the summer, and I am not going to go against that now. Um, I think that they will hire Matt Rule. Um, I think it has lined up perfectly for Nebraska in this situation. Matt Rule fired after week four or five with Carolina. He gets a big buyout from them. He has been available and sitting around, and you have plenty of time to work out the details of the contract you want, whether it's assistant pool, recruiting budget. And I think Matt Rule looks at Nebraska as a job that they are committed to winning. We've talked about their NIL collective. We've talked about the fan base, you know, however, however many sellouts in a row, even when that team was going three and nine and four and eight, they were selling out every single game in Lincoln. And I think with the expanded playoff and I think with the big 10 um, and, and the, the money that is about to come to that program even more than, and it has already come um, with their new TV deal. I, I think he sees it as the perfect landing spot for him. I think his ideal dream job is Penn state, but James Franklin signed a 10 year deal last year. He knows that's not really an option. So let's get back in college Let's get to a really good job with a great fan base, a place that will welcome him with open arms. I think they hire Matt Rule, and I, I don't think it's a bad hire. It's, it, it, it's not the sexiest hire, maybe, um, but I don't think it's a bad hire. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Matt Rule. Perfect. Who yeah. would who would you hire? So quick comment on Rule if you want, and then who would you hire? Uh, so I think Rule. I I agree with all the points that you said. I think the only thing I I would push back. I just don't know if Matt Rule goes to Nebraska because I think he is going to have, and not necessarily because I don't think he thinks it's a bad job. I don't know if he's going to be ready to jump right back into college football uh, right now. I could see him taking a year off because what he's getting paid, what, $40 million over the next? Yeah, he's got 40. I've, he's got, um, I think it's like $40 million guaranteed in the buyout. Buyout. So it's not like he's going to be itching for the money. I do think he would be a great hire there. I just don't know if he's going to be willing to jump in unless it's like a can't miss job. Um, but for me, if I'm them, a guy I've been wanting to hire, um, I think would be a great fit. I think they should hire him. I think it's Dan Mullen. Uh, Interesting. Just, I don't know if Dan Mullen takes Nebraska, um, but I think you want a guy who – one, I think they want to get a guy at the Power 5 level who has shown success. Dan Mullen has shown success, but if you take away his last year at Florida, has shown really good success at two Power 5 programs in the SEC. And uh, one, I think you, you want at Nebraska, you need a guy who you know who can develop talent really, really well. And he did that fantastically at Mississippi State. Mississippi State played above their weight just about every single year. I mean, we're talking about the college football playoff rankings. The first ever one that came out, Mississippi State was ranked number one under Dan Mullen. And he has been shown to produce really good offensive teams. He did it uh, at Mississippi State. He also did it at Florida and just developed players really, really well. And I don't think he's, he's yeah, he's going to have pressure on him at Nebraska, but I don't think it's going to be Florida level expectation. Recruiting, I know, was kind of a knock at him at Florida as well. I don't think that's going to be – obviously, they want to recruit well at Nebraska, but getting probably top 10 recruiting classes at Nebraska is not extremely realistic. Um, but you know that his team is going to be well, pretty dang competent most of the time, and I think he's going to be able to develop a really good culture there. 
So I think just with the proven track record, he had, like I said, specifically at Mississippi State, but we forget his first three years at Florida, he took them to New Year's Six Bowls all three years. Took them to the SEC title game a couple of times. It was a largely successful tenure year before that last season. So yeah, I, I think if they got Dan Mullen, that would be a home run hire for them. Yeah, Dan Mullen will show up a little bit later for me. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I would hire Lance Leipold. Yeah. I think Lance Leipold would be a really nice fit in Nebraska for all the reasons that you brought up earlier. Um, he's won everywhere he's gone. I think co- I think schools tend to I think schools tend to kind of go the opposite route with which they hired previous, right? So they hired the young hotshot G5 coach Scott Frost, and I think hiring a more veteran guy that just wins he's not sexy it's not um necessarily the the guy to win the press conference but he's a guy that i think more often than not is going to turn your program around so i would hire lance leipold he will show up a couple times for me as well on this list because i i just think he's a he's a good football coach and more programs need to hire good football coaches so i would i would um i would hire lance leipold if i was nebraska um all right let's let's go to arizona state they uh, open up after week three, in which they lost to Eastern Michigan. Lucas and I were chatting before the pod, and this is the hardest one to say who will they hire. I have no idea. I have had three different names on my sheet. I have I have, I have uh, crossed off all three of them. I have moved them around. It is really hard to get a read on because, one, we don't know who's going to hire this position. Ray Anderson has come out and said it's not basically – totally up to him. He will be involved in the process. Is it Michael Crow? Is it boosters? Is it other people? What's Ray Anderson's status? I think ASU is the hardest job to peg for who will get it. So Lucas, the three people I had on my list, the first person I had is Tom Herman. Mm-hmm. I think Herman still has a sexy name. Uh, he's an analyst for CBS sports. He was a national championship OC at Ohio state, really successful G five coach good recruiter at Texas. I could see that as an option. The off the wall candidate and a name you haven't heard in a long time, Ken Wisenhunt. Mm. Ken Wisenhunt is an offensive analyst at Penn state. He has a long track record in the state of Arizona, coaching the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, He is a big name. I think still in the state of Arizona and has NFL experience. And we know Ray and Michael Crow, like ASU has built this model of, you know, AH, you know, NFL U essentially with guys like Marvin Lewis and Brian Billick and Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce and all that. I crossed him off my list because I think it's a little too far out of the box. And I went with the guy who's a little safer. The guy I think ASU will hire is Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, he's got a lot of head coaching experience. He has had a lot of success at BYU. He even had a lot of success at Virginia. I mean, look at where that Virginia program was last year compared to this year. He's a, he's a good football coach. I think he gets a little bit further west in a, uh, a bit of a, not a better situation than Virginia, but maybe a little closer to home. He recharged his battery for a year. I think the expectations at ASU are very reasonable. So I think if he's interested, I think ASU will make a call. And my guess is ASU hires Bronco Mendenhall, but disclaimer, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, so you actually – this one's tough. So Bronco is actually the one I was kind of flipping with. Um, it was him and Tom Herman. So I'll, I'll just say Tom Herman just for uh, uh, 
just to kind of save us uh, so I don't repeat what, what you kind of had gone over. But uh, I think Tom Herman, I think the Ken Wisenhut name is really, really intriguing. My only thing is, would they go the, the ex-NFL coach route? And that's why, I, that's why I inevitably changed it, because I don't know if they would do it again. And, and I know that doesn't always, I, I sometimes that kind of drives me nuts with hiring process where they're like, well, we need to do the complete opposite. It's like, no, you just need to get, if the guy's a good coach and you trust him to run your program, then that's who you should trust. Um, so yeah, that would be the, the only thing just because, I, and we, and also we don't know too, maybe that would be a guy on Ray Anderson's list, but we also don't know if Ray Anderson is the person that's going to be in charge of the hiring for that. But no, I think Tom Herman uh, checks a lot of boxes. I had mentioned to you, I think where ASU is right now with the sanctions potentially looming, depending when that comes, you might not get necessarily the top, you know, power five coordinator or maybe the top P5 head coach that's looking out there like, oh, I think I'm going to succeed there, especially when we don't know what the leadership structure is going to like. Where I do think you might have a better luck attracting a guy like uh, like a Tom Herman, maybe a retread who is looking to get back and get a college football coaching job. And also, too, I think on your end, it, on ASU ends, it's like, hey, we could probably get a guy. We might not have to pay him a ton of money. So then, then we get a guy. He can come in. He's not costing us. It's not a huge risk on our part. He gets through the sanctions. We get someone to get through the sanctions. If it doesn't work out in two, three years, you cut your losses. And then now the job's a lot more attractive because the worst of it you've gotten through. You also might know what conference you're playing in by that time too uh, to have a better vision. Uh, but on the plus side, I think Tom Herman can give you a lot of upside. Like you mentioned, um, you get a really good offensive guy. I don't think he was awful at Texas. Um he was much better than the previous head coaches there and Charlie strong. And he was better than the last years of Mac Brown. Um, and so far, I mean, basically what Texas is right now is kind of what they were under Herman. Um, but I do think you have a guy who's going to be eager to recruit. Recruiting was a huge focal point of his, which we know ASU desperately needs. And I think as a guy who's uh, knows that knows what it takes to win in college football at this level, which I think ASU needs, I think he knows that the type of games and stuff you have to play with boosters and all that stuff. Plus he's just spent, I think the last couple of years as an analyst in the NFL. So if you're looking for some of that NFL background, which we know Ray Anderson really likes, I think he could be a, a good candidate. So I think he would be a, a logical candidate for, for ASU to hire. Yeah. Um, could definitely see it. So as far as who I would hire, uh, I was down to two choices. I was down to Kenny Dillingham the offensive coordinator at Oregon, who's done a great job. And the guy who I went with was Dan Mullen, who you brought up for Nebraska. I think Dan Mullen, for everything you said, like at Nebraska, checks a lot of boxes. He was a really good OC at Florida, won a national championship. He produces quarterbacks. He produces good offenses. And he was fired largely because he didn't want to recruit with – he, he couldn't recruit as good as Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. And good luck to Billy Napier for if those are your expectations, right? So, and you're right. He took them to three New Year's Six Bowls in his first three years. They won the SEC East with Kyle Trask in 2020. I mean, Dan Mullen was fired less than a year after winning the SEC mm -hmm. East. Um, I think he's a good coach. And I think he's more gettable 
for some of the reasons you brought up. I don't know if Kenny Dillingham, even though he has Arizona ties, he was a former high school coach here and former Arizona State graduate assistant. I don't know if this is the time for Kenny Dillingham to take the ASU job. I don't know. The roster will be, quite honestly, in shambles at the end of the year. Um, the recruiting has been really bad at the high school level. I think Dan Mullen gets in a spot where you're not going to be asked to recruit top 15, top 20 classes where you have a lot of talent in your backyard that you can drive to go see. Um, and he can run his offense the way he wants to and score points and has college head coaching experience and a lot of it. So I think he checks a lot of boxes for Arizona state and, um, that's who I would hire. Yeah. Uh, like I said, all your points basically are why I think if I would put, I think the only reason I didn't choose him for ASU is I just thought Nebraska would be a, maybe a slightly better job, but I think he would be a great fit. I think Dan Mullen would be a great fit at pretty much most of these jobs uh, outside of maybe <clears throat> uh, Georgia Tech. But uh, so I'm actually going to go with who I would like to hire. And it's kind of funny. It is the opposite of who you think they will hire. Uh, but I actually think they should hire Bronco Mendenhall. Um I am actually I I like Bronco just because I think he's won in relatively tough places to win. They he was extremely good at BYU. He helped turn around Virginia and led them to a New Year's Six Bowl. And you can kind of see what they kind of look like right now um, since he left and got them to become a consistent bowling team. I think he would be a great hire for for ASU just because I think ASU needs some form of stability right now. Um, and I think he brings that, he brings a level of maturity. Um, his teams usually, you know, have never really have any off the field issues, um, at all. He knows how to recruit to the type of system he wants. Um, his last couple of years at Virginia, they were really fun offensively. Bronco also has a pretty good defensive background. And I think you're going to get a guy too, who took a year off. I was listening and I think he was on, um, he was on, I think it was the audible with, the, uh, with, uh, uh, Bruce Feldman and, and yeah. Stuart Mandel. And it was just, he just had a, such an interesting, uh, retrospective of kind of why he stepped away from the game. And it was just like, he had, he didn't feel like he knew why he was doing what he was doing. And I think you're getting a guy who's going to be refreshed and, and ready to really prove, um, that what he did at BYU in Virginia wasn't a fluke. So, and like, and he's from that part of the country, the Western uh, part of the U.S. Probably recruited a lot of the areas that ASU was going to recruit, and he's not going to have, um, you know, the type of recruiting restrictions he had at BYU, and also at Virginia, which has a little bit more of ac higher academic standards for athletes to get in there yeah. too. Um, so, I think with all that, I think he would be an excellent hire at uh, at ASU. Nice. All right, let's. Uh, we got Wisconsin now, the alma mater of Mr. Lucas Rode. We go from my alma mater to yours. I'll let you have the floor. Uh, who do you think Wisconsin will hire? I have a feeling we're going to get to the same guy. Yeah, I'm going to get the same guy and to save time, too. The guy who I think they will hire is also the guy who I want them to hire. Um, and that is who's their current interim head coach, and that is, and that is Jim Leonard. Um, a big reason why one, the guy has been successful in just about everything he does. He was, he is personifies what Wisconsin football is. He was a walk on who ended up becoming a three time 
All-American safety and uh, and punt returner. Ended up having a went undrafted and then ended up having a 10-year career in the NFL, uh, starting for numerous teams. Then he comes fresh out of the NFL, becomes a defensive assistant, a D coordinator, has been immensely successful in that. And I have no doubt that he's going to be a successful head coach. Um, and I just think he understands what Wisconsin is, but he also understands what Wisconsin needs to do to get to the next level. He had a saying um, during an interview, he said, tradition doesn't die when you adapt. And I, after I heard that, I wanted to give him a lifetime contract right then and there. I know I don't have that authority, but I wish I did. I just think he's the right guy for the job for those circumstances. I think he's also, it, bring, it injects some younger blood into that program. Uh, you hear what uh, what players and what recruits say from him. They're just like, the energy level is just different uh, with him. Not that it was bad with Paul Chris, but it's like, they just feel like they can relate to him on a much uh, on a much better level, I feel, um, because he is a little bit younger. He is a little bit more uh, uh, jovial um, on the sidelines and things like that. And um, I also think he, he'll have the energy to want to get into recruiting battles and things like that. So, um, like I said, I think he will get the job. Um, I think they really, really have to collapse here down the stretch for him not to. And I, he's also my top guy. Do I want to have that position as well? Yeah, I, I think they hire Leonard. I, I think it, it has been good enough. It hasn't been, you know, we talked about when Paul Chris was fired. If if to Leonard to not get the job, it would have to be a disaster. They would have to be yeah. inept offensively. They would have to look unprepared. And, and they just, they haven't at, at that point. Um, to me, for who they should hire, it, it was between Leonard and Leipold. And, and I did go with Jim Leonard because I, I think – he knows Wisconsin better than, than anyone. And really all the points you brought up, like I can't add anything to what you brought up. Um, I do think Lance Leipold would be an option, but I don't think he, I think Jim Leonard is a good enough interim to, to overrule Lance Leipold. And they clearly have been grooming him for this spot. So Mm -hmm. I don't think you overthink it. I usually I'm not for hiring the interim guy. But I think Wisconsin, there are some extenuating circumstances. It's not like ASU just promoted their running backs coach um, and said, "All right, here you go." Like they, they, they clearly have had a plan in place. Jim Leonard's turned down, you know, high-profile job after high-profile job, including last year with, with the Green Bay Packers, to stay on this staff. He clearly knows what Wisconsin's about. Um, I think he he knows the people to put in place to get Wisconsin back to where it needs to go. So I think we both agree on that one. All right, let's get to Colorado. Uh, Buffaloes are really, really down bad. It's the worst power five team in the country. In my opinion, they are 35 point underdogs this week against UCLA on the road. The guy, this is a tough one for me as well. Um, There are some interesting candidates here. Ryan Walters is a former Nevada is a former Colorado player uh, from 04 to 08. He's the current Illinois defensive coordinator. Bronco Mendenhall could be an interesting name here as well. I went with Brian Harson um, as a guy that I think had more had enough success at Boise, and I think Colorado will look at that and say we can maybe replicate that. Brian Harson, we both really liked the hire at Auburn a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. We think he's a good football coach. Now, I've read the stories and and you you listen to the podcast from the Auburn people and it 
did not go well at all in terms of how he treated players and his commitment to recruiting. Um, but again, like that's at Auburn, one of the biggest fishbowls in the country. Colorado, it's just not that, you know, and I think Harston will, will, will look to, to jump back into coaching and, and prove that, Hey, I, I can still do this thing. And Colorado gives him kind of a low pressure situation to kind of jump back into. And, 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 um, you're not going to have the eyes on you that you are at Auburn. You're not going to, you know, not every recruiting visit is going to be tracked. Not every offer is going to be tracked. Colorado is a tough job. I think it's a tougher job than Arizona state. You don't have the, you don't have a ton of great players from your state and you're not as close to California as Arizona. So there are challenges there, but Brian Harson being from that part of the country, having a firm understanding of probably of that job. Um, we've seen some former Boise state coaches go from Boise to Colorado from from Boise to Colorado, right? Dan Hawkins. Um, so I'm going to go Brian Harson as the, uh, the new Colorado coach. Interesting. So uh, this one I was, I was troubling with because I almost put Bronco Mendenhall for this one, just on who I thought they would hire and Brian Harson as well. I was kind of debating between the two. I just don't know if they are going to go with, because their last head coach, once again, it's one of these other things where do they try to do kind of what they did last time with, with Carl Durrell, who, you know, it had been a while since he had coached in college, but he was a previous Pac-12 head coach at UCLA before spending numerous years as an assistant in the NFL. Uh, but I think who, they're, who, they're, who they are going to end up with, I think is going to be, uh, you, you mentioned the name earlier, but I think it's going to be Ryan Walters. Um, I think it kind of hits a lot of the boxes. I think Ryan Walters is going to be, could be fantastic. The job he's done, not just at Illinois, but he did a fantastic job at Mizzou. Right now, Illinois, just in two years there, they're one of the best defenses in the country. Um, it was a big reason why they turned around their season last year. Um, you know, he's a Colorado, uh, alum. So I think getting him, I think the one thing, you know, you look at two coaching hires ago, they hired one of the hot rising DCs uh, in coordinators in college football and Mel Tucker from Georgia. He leaves after one year to go to Michigan State. I don't think you're going to have that problem with Ryan Walters. Um, I think he'll he'll be pretty loyal um, to that. Not that that's why you should hire a candidate, but I think he's young. He'll bring a lot of energy to that job. He'll know what it takes to win there and also bring a level of, of toughness, which I don't think they have right now. Um, and, and bring kind of, and especially early on, if you can play good defense, you're going to keep yourself in a lot of games. And right now Buffalo just needs to get back to a, a point where they're going to bowl games every year. Like that should be the goal. There's no reason Colorado cannot hit that. So I think um, that's for me, that's who I think they do end up with. And honestly, that's who I think, that's who I would hire if I were them as well. Um, so he kind of fits kind of like Leonard with Wisconsin, the person who I think they will hire and who I think they should hire um, go hand in hand with Colorado as well. The person I think they should hire. Um, I did consider Ryan Walters. He's probably my runner up choice. I went with Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator mm -hmm. at Baylor, Jeff Grimes, former offensive lineman, a little older. He's 54. Uh, he's been Baylor's offensive coordinator the last two years. Prior to that, he was BYU's offensive coordinator, uh, including for Zach Wilson. He was their OC from 2018 to 2020. Uh, he's really bounced around. He's got time at Arizona State, 
uh, was the BYU offensive line coach in the middle of the last decade. Uh, under Les Miles from 2014 to 2017 as the offensive line coach and run game coordinator. Um, he also served under Dan Hawkins' staff at Colorado as the associate head coach and the offensive line coach for two years from 07 to 08. I think it's an offensive mind, but a guy that understands physicality and a guy that understands kind of that part of the country, two stops at BYU, an assistant stop at Colorado, um, recruiting ties in Texas now at Baylor. And obviously Baylor won the Big 12 last year in, in Dave Aranda's first year. And you look at what um, Jeff Grimes did with Jerry Bohannon and and, and some of that, that Baylor offense. I thought he did a nice job. So I would hire Jeff Grimes, offensive-minded coach, but older Offensive line background. I think he checks a lot of boxes there. I think that would be kind of an intriguing hire uh, for Baylor. So I went with Jeff Grimes. Nice. Um, he was on my list as well, uh, potentially for that job. And a couple of the other ones um, on here too. Because like you mentioned, I think he's done both times. He's become an offensive coordinator. He has almost overnight flipped around both both at BYU uh, and Baylor. Um which is crazy because he was an offensive line coach, not typically who people usually groom uh, a lot of times to be offensive coordinators. But yeah, I think definitely would be a great fit uh, at Colorado. All right, let's get to Georgia Tech. I will, uh, I will let you go first. Who do you think Georgia Tech ends up with? So I'm, I actually think they are going to stay in the state of Georgia. They're going to pull from the model program in the state of Georgia. And I think they're going to, I think they are going to get, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator um, for the Bulldogs. I think, one, he checks a lot of boxes. One, he has um, obviously coaching experience now in the state of Georgia. He was previously a head coach. I believe was it was at Southern Miss. He was a head coach before heading off to the NFL. And I think that's another uh, great component um, for him as well, was he was an offensive coordinator with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um has coached in the NFL. I think that is a really good selling point, um, especially at Georgia Tech, where you kind of have to find, I think, a little bit of a niche um, in such a competitive uh, recruiting environment. Um, and I think this is an, I think Georgia Tech is a much more intriguing job than it was just a couple of years ago, because this head coach does not have to go and completely overturn a completely different roster you're not transitioning from the triple option you have guys that can play kind of what people would consider a modern version of football and uh, I think he would I think he kind of fits all those boxes and also too uh, I think it doesn't hurt that we, he would have probably a little bit of a better game plan on how to play Georgia moving forward because that that rivalry has just not been competitive for I yeah. can't remember the last time that was competitive no, yeah, I don't. It may, it may be the end of the Mark Richt era. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> Todd Todd Munkin's an interesting name. I would not be surprised if he gets something, maybe even a little bigger than Georgia Tech. Yeah, that could be a fallback option for Nebraska. I, I think at this point in Todd's career, he probably doesn't go G five. I think he probably waits for a Power Five job, and who knows? We'll, we'll probably get you know three, four, five, maybe even half a dozen more college Power Five openings. Um, but yeah, Todd Munkin is just done a great job. I mean, all the talent they, they lost James cook, Samir white, um, what he's done with Stetson Bennett, um, Brock Bowers. I mean, they are a really fun and underrated offense. We'll talk mm -hmm. about them here in, in a bit when we get to their game against Tennessee would not mind that at all. Um, I went with 
I went with Jamie Chadwell. Um, we talked about Jamie Chadwell this weekend. You texted me about him, I think, what, Friday or Thursday when they beat App State? Yeah. Jamie Chadwell, the last three years, 2020, 11 and 1, 2021, 11 and 2, and then this year, 8 and 1, 5 and 1 in the Sun Belt East. You mentioned that Georgia Tech needs something a little bit more niche, maybe. Well, that offense, it's not the triple option, but it's it's a bit of a hybrid of it. And I think he would, I think he understands, and Georgia Tech administration understands that maybe that's what they need, something a little gimmicky, but not quite gimmicky enough to where you're a military academy running the triple option. They score a lot of points. They produce good offenses. Um, it's a fun style of football. He's had a ton of success everywhere he's gone. Um, 38 and 20 at Coastal Carolina. He spent four years at Charleston Southern, led them to two 10 win seasons, two trips to the FCS playoffs. Um, he's just done a nice job everywhere he's gone. I think it's a, a regional fit, him coaching in South Carolina um, for the last eight or nine years, uh, knows the area and recruiting. You're never going to be able to out-recruit Georgia. You're never going to be able to out-recruit, you know, the Clemsons and even some of the top teams in the ACC. But you can out-game plan them, and you can make it hard as hell to play them. So I went with Jamie Chadwell as who they will hire and who I would hire. So I have both Jamie Chadwell for who I would hire and who they should hire. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a really good point, kind of out maybe gimmick or scheme teams. There's no reason why Georgia Tech can't be what Wake Forest is doing. Right. Exactly. Like that to me is, it's kind of where your, your goal should be to try to get to right now. And then maybe you can elevate it later. Um, but yeah, he, he was mine as well uh, as who I want them to hire. I, I, I was just texting. They've already, I believe have already clinched the, uh, the Sun Belt East um, coastal Carolina has. And this was a year where they basically besides Grayson McCall, they had to replace pretty much their whole offense a good amount of starters on defense um, and are going to be back in the, the Sun Belt championship game uh, in a Sun Belt that we've talked about numerous times. It's pretty darn good uh, is one of the better. Arguably it might have an argument with the American as the best group of five league uh, this year. So yeah, uh, all the points you, you mentioned before is why I want Jamie Chadwell to take this, to get this job. If he doesn't get a power five job, I, Either he's just being extremely picky or ADs are just morons. That's that's beyond. I don't know what else he can prove at Coastal. Yeah. 100%. All right, one more job here. It's the Auburn Tigers, the most recent job to come open. I think most pundits would call it the quote-unquote best job. Uh, certainly the job where you, might have, you probably have the highest ceiling. Auburn's won a national championship within the last 13 years, essentially, and played for one less than a decade ago. Um I will go first with who I would hire. I would hire Lane Kiffin. Um, I think you went complete outsider in the first batch of, I'm sorry, who, who they will hire. Yes, Lane Kiffin. Um, I think Lane advocates for these jobs. I think he, he wants a, quote, bigger job than Ole Miss. I think Auburn will back up the Brinks truck. Um, and I, I think Auburn will look internally in the SEC for their next head coach. Um, it will be a coach either currently in the SEC, so maybe it is a Todd Munkin. Um, you know, maybe it is a Bill O'Brien, right? I'm just throwing names out, right, within the SEC footprint. 
or a Dion or a Hugh Freeze, but I think it will be a coach either in the SEC footprint or with extensive SEC ties. And Lane Kiffin has extensive SEC ties, whether it's at Alabama, Tennessee, now Ole Miss. He scores points. He plays fun offenses. He's a he's a fun follow on Twitter. I feel like he'd fit the Auburn culture really well. And I think he would turn around. I mean, look at what he's done Ole Miss in, in just a handful of years, right? They were in the, the Cotton Bowl last year um, on pace for another New Year's Six Bowl, maybe a, just a smidge tier below it this year after losing Matt Corral. Um, I think he knows he can get the – I think he would take Auburn. I think he knows that your ceiling in recruiting is raised. You can get better players at Auburn than you can at Ole Miss. I think you can get more money and a longer-term deal at Auburn than Ole Miss. So I think that Auburn will hire Lane Kiffin. That they will. So Lane Kiffin was the one that I had for, for my want. Um, that's who I want. I think for all the reasons you had put up, I think also, too, he would love it to – I think he would just love to be even more of a thorn in Nick Saban's side if he can, and it doesn't get any more being Alabama's biggest rival. I think you mentioned too the, the up and recruiting. We heard Lane Kiffin, you know, in the off season, complain a lot about how he feels like recruiting is only becoming NIL, and how Ole Miss really can't compete because they're not going to be the highest bidder. I don't think that will be the issue when he goes to Auburn. Yep. And I think part of me, part of him about that was complaining about legitimate concerns. I think another one was him logistically saying like, I, I probably know I'm not going to be able to compete with the big dogs. He'll be able to do that at Auburn. And I also think a couple of years, even last year when Brian Harson was on the hot seat, there was rumors that he was really pushing to become a top candidate for that job just after a couple of years at Ole Miss. So, um, so yeah, so to go on to your points, that's why I want him to hire them to hire him. For the one that I think they're going to hire, I think it's going to be Kevin Steele. Um, just wow, because. interesting. So this is largely so. Kevin Steele is currently the defensive coordinator at Miami. Yes, I know their defense has not been great at all. Gave up forty-five last week, baby. Let's go. So, um, but prior to that, he was um, had a short stint in Tennessee. Um, but before that, he was the defensive coordinator at Auburn under Gus, Gus Malzahn. Their final handful of years has been in that long time. Was been a DC at Alabama for a good period of time at LSU. He was when he was when Gus Malzahn was fired. A lot of people thought Kevin Steele was the person that was going to get that job. Uh, a lot of the boosters apparently wanted him. The president apparently wanted him. The only person that didn't at the time was the AD that ended up firing, uh, or that ended up hiring Brian Harson. I think this time along, I think, um, I think they want alignment there with the AD, with the boosters and everything. I still think Kevin Steele. I know reading on twenty four seven, they still think he has a great shot at potentially getting that job, just because the boosters in them at that school love him. He knows how to play defense in the SEC. Look, he's I think he's like 61 years old. I don't know if he's the greatest candidate. He was a head coach, I believe, at Baylor years ago. They did not win a single game, I believe, in his one year there as, as a head coach. So, um, or, or I think they maybe only won like two games in a couple of years there, just trying to remember it right. So you do take ease there, but I do think Kevin Steele will be their head coach. Um, so the guy that I said I would 
hire is also Lane Kiffin. I think it comes down to three candidates. I think it comes down to Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze, or Deion Sanders. I hadn't even considered Kevin Steele, so that's a great pull by you. I totally forgot about Steele. That will be interesting. Um, I think the Dion one is worth mentioning. Like We didn't bring him up for any of these jobs. I think if Georgia Tech had less stringent academic standards, it would be a no-brainer. I mean, he's a legend in Atlanta, big city, awesome recruiting ground. It would be a really perfect fit, but I don't think he'll want to go somewhere where he's going to have to fight to get kids in school. Mm -hmm. Um, Auburn would be really interesting for him. I just, I don't, we talked about it last week. Like, I don't know if I see Dion going head to head with Brian Kelly, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban every year. And I know the SEC might change their scheduling format, but right now, like for the next, for at least for next year, until Texas and Oklahoma join the league, that's who you're playing every year. And I, I just, I don't know if Auburn wants to take that big of a risk. Right. If you if you miss on one call, if you miss on one coaching hire, it's OK. You miss on two, you become Nebraska. Right. Where you've you're eight years without a relevant season to your standards. So I think Dion's a bit too big of a risk. I think he might have the highest ceiling along with Lane. But I would I would hire Lane Kiffin. I think he's the perfect kind of combination of high ceiling, good fit, knows the SEC, going to score, going to play a fun style. Um, be entertaining and knows the conference. And I think he checks every box. I think um, I agree with you. And my thing with Dion is I think it's, it is kind of like a sexy hire. And like, I think Dion's done a phenomenal job at Jackson state, not just obviously on the, on the field, but off the field, just the, the recruiting, the way he's selling, not just Jackson state, but HBCUs. And we're seeing a number of players who might be able to play you know, at the FBS level, going to HBCUs uh, because of that. But I just think just jumping from an FCS program to a Power Five is a massive jump. I don't even know the last time that that had happened. I know Jim Tressel did it, um, and it worked out for Ohio State. He jumped from Youngstown State to Ohio State. Um, but I do think that is a massive jump. And it, there's, I think there's a lot of risk. Uh, with Dion, like you mentioned, that the schedule that you would have to go up every year, whether that's at Georgia Tech or that's at Auburn, uh, you've got to make sure that he has unbelievable assistance, I think, around him. Because I think that adjustment from FCS to FBS, uh, especially to the Power Five, is right is is huge. All right, so just to recap, who we think will get hired, uh, I have Nebraska hiring Matt Rule, Lucas has Lance Leipold. I have Arizona State hiring Bronco Mendenhall. Lucas has Tom Herman. We both have Jim Leonard going to Wisconsin. I have Colorado hiring Brian Harson. Lucas has Ryan Walters. I have Georgia Tech hiring Jamie Chadwell. Lucas has Todd Munkin. Lucas has Kevin Steele at Auburn. And I have Lane Kiffin. It'll be fun to look back on these in about a, a month and see, because last year the coaching cycle was nuts. Very interesting. We'll see what other jobs come open. We'll see. Uh, who else fits where. All right, let's jump into week 10. It was a, uh, a really fun week of college football. Two huge games in the SEC. Uh, one of them really lived up to the hype. The other one kind of didn't. We had Clemson go down in, in just burning fashion against Notre Dame. TCU stayed undefeated. Oregon rolled. Uh, Lucas, let's start with Tennessee and Georgia. I took Tennessee plus eight and a half. We both had Tennessee plus 11 and a half in a parlay. I did not expect in my wildest dreams for Tennessee's only touchdown to come 
essentially in garbage time. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia dominated the line of scrimmage. Georgia really controlled this game. I mean, this game was not as close as the final score would indicate. I'm not going to say I watched every minute of it. It was on in my office, and I would check in time to time. So I'll cede the floor to you. I'm guessing you watched a little bit more than I did. But let's talk about um, what did you see out of Tennessee? What did you see out of Georgia? Well, first off, I, I, I watched pretty much all of this game. I actually went out here in Nashville to watch it. Obviously, bars were packed with, uh, with Vols fans. I went to go watch it with my, my old neighbor, who I didn't realize um, until we got there is a massive Georgia Bulldog fan. So (laughs) both him and his girlfriend loved the game and were just kind of, you know, they were talking uh, pretty harsh trash to uh, all the Tennessee Vols fans who who basically cleared out at halftime of this game. But like you mentioned, this is a dominating game. You basically had a good feeling after the first quarter that Georgia was going to win this game outright. Um, Tennessee for how this we. You can consider Tennessee maybe the most explosive offense in college football this year. They have a single play over 20 yards. Like, the, everything was dink and dunk. Georgia basically was like, you're going to have to do long, strenuous drives to beat us because we're not going to give you anything over the top. Um, and even without Nolan Smith, their best pass, Georgia's best pass rusher, who was done for the end of the year, they still, I believe, had five sacks, like you mentioned. Just dominated the line of scrimmage. Tennessee had no answer, and once again, Stenson Bennett and that Georgia offense was pretty darn good, especially in the first half to create distance. Once they got up 24-6, to you could just tell they were just like, hey, we know our defense is going to hold. Let's not make any mistakes, and they basically just carried that game throughout. Um, So, yeah, total domination and just flustering for for Tennessee as it looked like they had no answer uh, once Georgia kind of punched them in the mouth. Yeah, I mean Georgia asserts itself as tier A, and and right now I don't know if another team is in that tier with them. They have two wins over top ten teams in the country. They smoked Oregon week one, and they have the win at home against Tennessee. Now um, Ohio State, I'll just touch on a little bit of kind of the rest of the top ten here. Um, Ohio State squeaks by Northwestern. That was a blistery, windy, ugly game. Uh, for both teams, Ohio State, a 38-point favorite, only wins by 14. Michigan smokes Rutgers. TCU beats Texas Tech. Colorado smokes uh, – Oregon smokes Colorado. USC played with its food a little bit. They beat Cal 41-35. UCLA beats ASU 50-36. Lucas, the two teams in the top 10 we'll we'll touch on. We touched a little bit on Bama and LSU. Um you know, Bama, we talked about how the offensive line was an issue last year, could be an issue this year. Um, and we've talked about how the talent on the outside just isn't what it had been. And and it's really hard to live up to that standard, but it clearly shows. I mean, Bryce Young threw the ball 51 times, 21 of 50, 25 of 51, 328 yards. You know, Alabama only 137 yards on the ground. Uh LSU gained 185. Um, you know, besides besides Ja'Cory Brooks, no other Alabama wide receiver caught more than three passes. 
Uh, Jameer Gibbs had the most receptions for Alabama with eight for 64 yards. It's an offense that struggled. It's an offense that has struggled, right? They mm-hmm. struggled against Texas A&M. They struggled against, or, uh, they struggled against Texas. Um, and finally, it kind of came up to them. It finally caught up to them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at especially the first kind of few drives for Alabama. They were able to move the ball, but then they settled for three field goals. Bryce Young, we mentioned, was kind of off all game, had less than a 50% completion percentage, had a huge interception in the end zone uh, early on in the game that negated uh, an Alabama potential touchdown. Like you mentioned, it it just has been kind of a story all year. I think, you know, coming into the year, we talked about, you know, Bill O'Brien and how he's going to be another Nick Saban resurrection job where he's probably going to get another power five head job at this. I'm looking at Bill O'Brien. I'm looking at this Alabama offense and I'm asking, they still have an immense amount of talent. They still should be way better than what they're doing right now. I mean, just the fact that you have the reigning Heisman trophy winner at quarterback alone, uh, you should be performing much, much better uh, than this. And like we said, LSU took advantage. They cashed in touchdowns when they needed to. Um, and even though they wouldn't necessarily wow you with the, with the yards that they had, they made huge plays, especially Jaden Daniels had massive plays when they needed to. And that's just the thing right now that Bama just can't figure out how to do. Um, they just can't take it over the top. And like you mentioned, LSU made them pay for it. All right. One more game we'll get into here in detail, and then we'll kind of touch on some other ones that caught our eye. Clemson. Yikes. They go down big. Uh, 35 to 14 at Notre Dame. We both took Clemson minus three and a half um, and was dead wrong. And this was a Mm -hmm. team that struggled with Syracuse. They struggled against Wake Forest, had to take two overtimes to beat the Demon Deacons. And kind of like Alabama, it finally caught up to them and they get smoked. DJ Ungalale is pulled in the game. Like this, the quarterback musical chairs, we talked about it too. I think we talked about it when they beat Syracuse. Like, how do you, how are you a top five team and you don't know who your best quarterback is? And finally, it just unraveled for DJ. It unraveled for Dabo. Um, and Notre Dame dominated that game. What was it 28 nothing? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was a domination. Kudos to Marcus Freeman. Kudos. I mean, that team again, like home losses to Stanford and Marshall. And then, you know, you beat North Carolina on the road. Like they have wins over North Carolina and Clemson. Those are the two teams that will be playing for the ACC championship. Like what an insanely weird Notre Dame season. But, you know, for Clemson, this is a team that didn't win its division last year. They will most likely still win the uh, ACC Atlantic with three games left. But a lot of questions for Dabo Sweeney here after this season. Yeah, I mean, you look at like Notre Dame. When I I didn't watch a ton of this game just because it was going on at the same time as Alabama LSU, and every time I turned it on, Notre Dame had another touchdown, so it just felt like it was pointless to keep watching it. But you look at the like the boxer, you know, Notre Dame didn't even pass for over a hundred yards. They ran the ball down. Uh, Clemson's throat, but it's like the fact that you held Drew Pine is 19 of 17 for 85 yards. I think it's just, it just shows the the question marks we had about Clemson's offense that I think we saw issues with against Syracuse. And it came down to here once again, kind of still in Alabama, just can't really stretch the ball. Not a lot of creativity either. 
when it comes to uh, comes to their offense. And Notre Dame made them pay. Notre Dame got up early on them and basically knew, hey, we can just run the ball and play really, really good defense now, and we're going to beat them. And Clemson couldn't get them off script at all. And you mentioned, yeah, they're probably still going to win the ACC Coast. So this was not an ACC game. But I don't even know if they win out if they belong as a top four team, depending on how everything shakes out. But on the other side for Notre Dame, they should just join they should have just stayed in the ACC. They they dominated right? the ACC. They dominated Syracuse uh, uh, last week. You mentioned the win against Notre Dame and now they dominate Clemson. The one time they played in the ACC, they won or they went to the conference championship game and were undefeated going into it. Um, they really should. I know everyone talks about, are they going to join the big 10? Are they going to stay independent? Just do what's best for your program. Notre Dame, just, just join the ACC. Cause clearly I think they're 22 and one, I think against their last 23 ACC opponents. They clearly know that league. Um, and I think also when you look at the ACC, the fact that Notre Dame has done that, which I think this is like a, an okay Notre Dame team. I think it speaks a lot about the strength of the ACC as a whole, uh, too. All right, a couple more games here, and then we'll move on. We'll, we'll move on to Week Eleven. I'll touch on some games here, Lucas, and then I'll, I'll toss it to you if you want to touch on some that we haven't talked about. Texas beats Kansas State. Big Twelve continues to be absolute chaos. Cinderella, the glass slipper. Maybe it's midnight for Illinois. They lose a, a weird one to Michigan State, 23-15. Brett Bielema had some odd comments after the game about Michigan State faking injury, but still, after the Spartans suspend eight players in wake of the Michigan game to lose at home to Michigan State is perplexing. Um, Oklahoma State, an absolute free fall. They get drubbed at Kansas, 37-16 without Spencer Sanders. NC State, I think I, I thought a, a nice win over Wake Forest, 30-21, to 21, a game that they dominated for the most part, despite Sam Hartman's almost 400 passing yards. And then, you know, weird one in the Big Ten, uh, Iowa, 24, Purdue 3. Uh, Purdue, a team that was thinking, hey, maybe, you know, if you beat, if you win that game and Illinois loses, you're within a game with Illinois, and then you set up kind of a de facto Big Ten West title game, and they have they laid a complete egg against Iowa. So those are some other games that I caught my eye on. Lucas, if you want to either either touch on those or anything else that caught your eye in week 10 here before we move on. Uh, yeah, I think one of the, you kind of touched on it right there. Uh, yeah, Purdue, the in the Midwest this past weekend, um, the weather was just absolutely awful on Saturday. You kind of touched on it with Ohio State Northwestern, but also like, Purdue, Iowa, Maryland, Wisconsin were dealing with like 50 mile an hour gusts during some of their game. Um, so Purdue, a team that likes to throw the ball, not great. Um, and then Iowa, look, two weeks in a row, they've been able to put up points, which I'm kind of nervous as a Wisconsin fan going into that game this week. But um, other ones, uh, I'm touching on just a couple of teams that I just think are in free fall. Stanford gets, gets the absolute crap kicked out of them. Uh, by Washington State. That game was 42-7, to I believe, at halftime. Uh, uh, Florida State just doing the same thing to Miami. Miami just looks like they're kind of just tapped out at this point. Um, that was a game I know I had a pick on, uh, I believe, in that one as well. But, yeah, just uh, just not a great performance. Not a great look so far 
in the first year under Mario Cristobal. And then our favorite team that I think we we kind of love to rag on, uh, despite our friends Blaine's fandom, and that is uh, A&M uh, once again uh, losing uh, this past week to Florida. Uh, the week before, they gave up over 400 rushing yards uh, to uh, uh, to Ole Miss. Uh, was in a better picture this week. Um, I know they're beat up. They gave up 291 yards on the ground, almost 500 yards total offense. The defense, I know, has had some injuries, but it was also one of the strengths of this team. Um, and they're, you know, with with games uh, remaining, I believe that they have. I know they have LSU, they have Auburn uh, this coming week. They have UMass, and then LSU. They had a pretty good chance they're not going to make a bowl uh, this year, which is just crazy considering where they were from uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, otherwise. Uh, I guess just kind of the last game that I'll, I'll touch on uh, our, our team, our favorite, another one of our favorites, Louisville, who we could not get a read on gets their third straight win. And is now bowl eligible. They also clinched uh win total. I believe it's four and a half that we had bet with a nice win over Louisville. And they have an intriguing game this, this coming week uh, against Clemson, uh, which could be potentially interesting. Um, so those are the only ones that I, uh, um, and uh, we, we already mentioned it, but the crazy game that was Houston and SMU, 77 to 63. Um, but otherwise, besides that, I think we I think we pretty much touched on them all. Miami and Texas A&M are good calls on you to touch on both those programs. I mean, my goodness. Miami, remember, the preseason coastal favorite. I believe it's three and six or four and five. Like, regardless, yeah. they're going to fight to get to bowl eligibility. And A&M, you're right, three and six. And you probably give them UMass, um, but the way LSU's playing, I know that game's at home, but um, it's going to be a tall task for A&M to get to bowl eligibility, which is just an insane thing. I mean, we can talk about this later, obviously, in another show, maybe like a season recap kind of thing, but most disappointing season ever. I mean, I don't remember the last time a team with this much talent failed to make a bowl game. Something well, deeply, deeply wrong with that program. And there's something with Jimbo Fisher. I had sent you a text that I saw in the athletic and it was like, uh, A&M this year, what was, I believe ranked in the top 10 will finish unranked. There's been three teams that have done that. I believe in the last like 15 years and, or there's been five teams. Three of them have been Jimbo Fisher coach teams. Uh, want this team. And then he had two teams at Florida state. So I'm just like, is this an A&M thing or is this a, a Jeff Fisher thing? Interesting to see what they do at the end of this year. Cause you know, there's going to be some changes. I'm also interested to see how many players stick around, especially yep. from uh, these last couple of vaunted recruiting classes. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to week 11 here. We've got a lot of action on Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, one power five matchup. And of course, Lucas, how many times do we joke about the PAC 12's best teams playing on like a short week on 1030 Eastern on FS1 or something. My goodness. USC hosts Colorado this week, Friday at uh, 930 Eastern time on FS1. Shouldn't be an issue for the Trojans, but I just always find that amusing that the Pac-12 is out here playing 930 Eastern games on a Friday night on FS1. Like, come on. Uh, Moving on to Saturday, I'll go through the TV slate, and then we'll get Lucas's thoughts here on some of the big matchups. The noon slate, uh, Missouri at Tennessee on CBS, Indiana at Ohio State on Fox, LSU at Arkansas on ESPN, Purdue at Illinois on ESPN2. 
Moving on to the uh, 3.30 slate, Nebraska at Michigan on ABC. Louisville, as Lucas mentioned, at Clemson on ESPN. Alabama at Ole Miss on CBS. Maryland at Penn State on Fox. Iowa State at Oklahoma State on ESPNU. Fun one in the American at uh, 3.30 Eastern on ESPN to UCF at Tulane. Arizona State goes at Washington State on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, we'll move on to the evening slate, Georgia at Mississippi State, 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN, Washington at Oregon, 7 o'clock Eastern on Fox, Kansas State at Baylor on FS1 at 7 o'clock Eastern, uh, TCU at Texas, that is where college game day will be, a 7.30 kickoff on ABC, North Carolina at Wake Forest, 7.30 Eastern on ESPN2, A&M at Auburn. Uh, A&M, basically their last chance to get bowl eligible. SEC Network, 7.30 Eastern. Florida State at Syracuse, 8 o'clock Eastern on ACC Network. Moving on to the Pac-12 after dark slate. Cal at Oregon State, 9 o'clock Eastern on the Pac-12 Network. Stanford at Utah, 10 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Arizona at UCLA, 10.30 Eastern on Fox. Lucas, a couple intriguing games North Carolina at Wake is an interesting one. North Carolina, by the way, has one loss, and we'll mm-hmm. see where they're at in the rankings tonight. But it feels like they should be a little higher. I know the non-conference schedule isn't great, um, considering the loss to Notre Dame and the two G5 wins. But feels like Notre Dame or uh, North Carolina a little underranked. And TCU in Texas. TCU a top-10 team, probably a top-5 team after tonight when the CFP rankings come out at Texas. Texas a seven-point favorite. I think that one's interesting. Um, LSU in a classic letdown spot at Arkansas at noon, kind of a sleepy noon game with a top 10 LSU team going at Arkansas. Um, Alabama at Ole Miss doesn't get any easier for Alabama. They, they, they got to go at Ole Miss with likely a new year six appearance on the line. Uh, what are some games you're keeping an eye on, uh, this week? Yeah, I think kind of starting with the the TCU Texas game, you kind of mentioned one thing, continue to look is Quentin, Quentin Johnston going to be playing in this game he got hurt uh this past week um if he's not playing this is already i think going to be a really really tough game uh for tcu texas seems to kind of have found their footing uh here the last uh the last few weeks um it'll be interesting to see if uh, it should be a nice high scoring game i also can't believe seeing on here that tickets are going for as low as five dollars um uh in austin for that one um, you mentioned uh, UCF Tulane. Um, this could be potentially one uh, a, a preview of the American Championship game, and uh, this could be whoever wins this potentially puts themselves in the driver's seat for the uh, for a New Year's Six Bowl for the for the Group of Five. Um, you uh, kind of touching on uh, you know Purdue Illinois. Uh, look, Illinois, not a great look losing to Michigan State last week. However, they still basically control their own destiny in the Big Ten West. Um, if if this if Purdue were to upset Illinois, this is just the Big Ten West, the most Big Ten West thing ever. Um, if they were to win, you could potentially have a three-way tie for first place um, in the Big Ten West at four and three. Um, and Illinois has to go to Michigan the following week. Um, 
and they have tiebreakers, I believe, against three other Big Ten West teams, Wisconsin, Iowa, and and Minnesota, because they all beat them. If Purdue wins this game, it puts all of those teams, including Purdue, uh, you could have a four-team race with two games left. Just wild, Potentially man. in the Big Ten West. Um, Arkansas, LSU, this, this does have a trap game feel because Arkansas just lost to Liberty. We didn't really touch on that one in uh, the recap, but they lost to Liberty last week. Um, and LSU coming off you know, a huge emotional win. Now they got expectations. They're the they're the team to beat right now in the SC West. How do they handle that? Um, but otherwise, uh, just continuing to to kind of look at uh, the slate. You know, Georgia on the road at Mississippi State. I don't know if that's going to be an issue for Georgia, but it's still on the road after once again an emotional win that basically put you in the driver's seat in the SEC East. So. Um, yeah, those are kind of the games that I am circling along with, um, you know, North Carolina Wake, just because there's probably going to be a ton of points in that game. I think the over-under the last time I looked was about 76 and a half yep. um, for that. So that one should be uh, should be extremely entertaining. If you want to watch a toilet pool, just turn on Texas A&M and Auburn. Uh, two programs really going nowhere uh, fast. Well, right speaking, of, um, <laughs> speaking of toilet pool, Miami at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is favored by one and a half points. Hey, hey, we did mention something I did not mention when we were going through our coaching change. Brent Key, their their interim, is making a pretty good stance, potentially. Yeah. If they're able to beat Miami, they'll be five and five with Georgia a Tech damn. five and five. And and if, not only that, I mean, you have the win over Pitt. They beat Duke, who's six mm-hmm. and three. They lost to Virginia by seven points. They got blown up by Florida State, and then a win at Virginia Tech. You're right. I mean, that's a that's a job that might be had for Brent Key. It would be really interesting. Now, they end with at North Carolina and at Georgia, so this will likely be their last win of the season. But, yeah, Brent Key's done a nice job there. Yeah. All right, let's get to our picks here as we wrap up the pod. Uh, Lucas and I each went one and two last week. Uh, my victory was the under 40 and a half in Army and Air Force. Never a doubt. They scored uh, 20 points. Losses, North Carolina minus seven and a half at Virginia. Feel like a, I got a bit of a bad beat there. North Carolina up by 10 most of the fourth quarter. Virginia scores a late touchdown to pull within three. And then my upset was Tennessee plus eight and a half. Really, really never a doubt. That game never in question. Uh, Lucas, one and two week for you as well. Your win was LSU plus 13 and a half, an outright winner over Bama. Your losses, the under 54 and a half in Florida A&M. I would have been right there with you, buddy. That game got wild, wildly mm-hmm. out of hand. Florida put up 41 on their own. And then your lock was Clemson minus three and a half at Notre Dame. Season standings, Lucas remains basically two games ahead of me. He's 18 and 15. I am 16, 15, and 2. And as a syndicate, we are 34, 30, and 2. Lucas, I will let you go first and I will let you take the board wherever you want to go. You can do a pick, a lock, an upset, whatever oh, you want. So my lock, I'll do my lock first. Um I gotta I gotta I gotta write the train. I believe that's five straight weeks. I've gone one and two. It's just eating at my yes. soul it's yeah that's correct so, that, that is correct so and the thing is i felt really good about my picks last week they didn't work out i do not feel great about my picks this week so <laughs> i think i'm gonna reverse jinx it 
Um, so my lock, I am going something that has been a good recipe for me all year. I'm taking an under in the Big Ten West. Uh, and I am taking Northwestern at Minnesota under 41. Uh, Minnesota right now kind of is a quarterback controversy. They benched Tanner Morgan last week. Um, and yet still against not a very good defensive team in Nebraska, only put up 20 points. Northwestern, we know their flaws um, offensively, defensively, not great. Um, but I don't see this. I'm taking the under 41 in Northwestern Minnesota. It's all supposed it's also supposed to be very cold in the Midwest, probably going to have temperatures around freezing, below freezing. So I think um, I don't think offenses are going to be jumping uh, this week in Big Ten country. I thought about this one too, but I'm afraid Minnesota wins like 41-0 on its own. I I mean, I I guess you would, but like I'm worried Minnesota just like Northwestern is the hardest team for me to vote or for me to bet with. I have no idea week to week what they're going to be. They hold, they hold Ohio state to 21. They get blown out in other games. It's, it's baffling to me. Um, my lock of the week, I'm taking North Carolina plus three and a half at wake. Um, this feels like a trap line. It really does. I almost did North Carolina money line, but I, I, I think this is the kind of game. If wake wins it, it just is like a 48, 45, 45, 42 kind of game. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time seeing wake beat North Carolina by more than three points. So I feel good about getting a hook there. So I'm taking North Carolina on the road. Tough spot for the Tar Heels at Wake Forest plus three and a half. Uh, Lucas, where do you want to take us next? Yeah, so I'm going to go. I'm going to pick my underdog um, in this one. Once again, not feeling great because of an uncertainty of a certain player playing it. We touched on it in the preview, but I'm taking TCU plus seven at Texas. I'm not sure if this line has risen at all since I bet it um, just because the unavailability, we don't know the availability of Quentin Johnston. Um, but I think I like Texas. Uh, I like TCU. I, for one reason, TCU and pretty much all of their games has come back from behind from early deficits. What has Texas done in basically all their losses? They have blown leads. So I just think the combination of those two, we're going to have a pretty uh, close game. Uh, though I do like the way Texas is playing right now. And I think TCU has been a little bit lucky and I am kind of waiting for this, them to finally get a little bit snake bit. However, don't think this is the week. think this is the close game. So I'm taking TCU plus seven uh, in Austin this week. So I'm going to try and do something on a trend. I looked at teams that are, that really come out of the gate strong. And if, when they suffer their first big setback, they kind of have cratered. And I've looked at Syracuse and I've looked at, um, oh gosh, I forgot the other team now. Anyway, I'm taking Purdue plus six and a half. Oh, Kansas. Thank you. Uh, Kansas. It just came to me. Taking Purdue plus six and a half at Illinois. I, I think Illinois is a good football team, but I don't think they faced an offense a little bit like Purdue. Now, granted, Purdue scored three points on Iowa, so I'm, I'm not really <laughs> making my own argument here. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just I wonder if Illinois is really as good as as their record indicates, or if they have played some teams that were in flux when they played them. Right? They fight. They play Wisconsin in Paul Chris last game. They play Iowa. Um, you know, Minnesota without Tanner Morgan gets knocked out in that game. Anyway, I. 
I, I just think this could be a close game. So I'm going to take Purdue plus six and a half. Uh, I like that pick because this just feels like a game that Purdue just wins when we kind of count them out. And as I mentioned too, the Big Ten West has been nuts this year. I just don't think the winner is going to get out <laughs> with probably uh, less than, than three losses. Yeah, so. right. So I, it's, yeah. So, all right, your, uh, your pick of the week. My pick of the week. So I am actually going to something I normally do is I'm going to uh, to tell Alabama after they lose. I did this Ooh. when they lost to Tennessee. They covered against Mississippi State. Same thing last year um, or two years ago, I believe, when they had uh, lost the game during the regular season. They went on the road. I picked them to cover against Mississippi State, and they did the same thing. Um, so I'm going to take Alabama minus 10 and a half on the road at Ole Miss, though this goes against everything. Alabama has not been particularly good on the road. Obviously, they've lost two road games this year, but even they probably almost lost to uh, Texas on the road. Um, Facing good Ole Miss, I do think Ole Miss is a little bit overrated. Um, They've been good, but we've seen them. The best team they played was LSU. I know that game was in Death Valley, but LSU um, won that game. Uh, relatively handily. I think Alabama is going to come out furious. I can't see them dropping three losses in the regular season. I don't even know the last time that that happened to a Nick Saban Alabama team. Um, So I'm going to take, I think they come out with a good game plan. I don't think Ole Miss's defense is as good as LSU's is. I don't know how much pressure they're going to get to, to kind of mess with Bryce Young. So I like Alabama in this game. I will lay the points and take them minus 10 and a half. It's funny, we're kind of on the same page this week. I'm also taking a SEC favorite coming off a loss. I'm taking Tennessee minus 20 and a half against mm. uh, Missouri. Um, I think Tennessee is going to be really pissed off. I think Tennessee is going to want to prove that, hey, we have one loss to the number one team in the country. From here on out, it's statement games for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You have to work your way in. The SEC West champion is likely going to have two losses. So I still think if Tennessee wins out and Georgia wins the SEC championship, I think Tennessee makes the playoff especially because Ohio State and Michigan will play each other and one of those teams will not win its conference or its division. So I'm going to go Tennessee minus 20 and a half. They're back at home. Missouri, I just don't think is very good, to be honest. And I think Tennessee is going to come out and really try to make a statement, win this game by 30, 35 points. So give me Tennessee with the big number, 20 and a half, but I will lay it with the balls. Nice. Uh, Any final thoughts here, Lucas, before we wrap up our week 11 show yeah i mean last week was one of the more crazier weeks that i think i've I've watched during college football just with kind of how everything just kind of flipped on its head with alabama and clemson going on we'll see like i said i think the interesting thing this week is can a team obviously uh can lsu back up what they did last week um you know does clemson kind of rebound you know is there a team this week that that can happen to as well that yep. we don't expect in the top 10 or in the top five that we think is on, kind of on cruise control and gets upended. So I'm interested uh, to see that. And it's just crazy. We only have three weeks left of the regular season, which is just uh, nuts for me to believe. It just feels like yesterday I was spending, you know, uh, 20, 20 hours doing uh, conference write-ups. Um, and now we're, uh, we're almost I know. Down. I know three more weeks of regular season ball, and then we have conference championships and then bowl season. And then mm-hmm. we go into off season mode. So 
it's uh it's it's coming but i do think like you said earlier in the pod november is the best week of college the best month for college football impactful games you get the you get the weather games now where we will have snow in the big 10 country and and um more night games right because the 330 games like you have daylight savings and it's it's fun i enjoy it a lot of meaningful games here on the horizon the next couple of weeks all right that's going to do it for us he's lucas Rody. i'm ryan baffalucas you can subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcast apple podcast spotify google play wherever you listen to podcasts we'll catch you next week to review week 11 to preview week 12 as we get deeper and deeper into the month of november uh, have a great night, everyone, and stay frosty.